I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Galatians as we begin our time of devotional. Galatians chapter 6 will be where we're going to focus our attention today, particularly in verses 7 through 9. Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 9. And as you turn there, I will be reading our text of study out of the New American Standard Bible, so it may sound a little bit different than the translation that you're reading out of, but nevertheless, that is the text we will be looking at. So please follow along with me in your copy of God's Word as I read, beginning in verse 7 of Galatians chapter 6. The text says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. This is the word of the living God, and may he write its eternal truths upon our hearts this afternoon. At this time, I want every person under the age of 18 to look around the room And examine your classmates for just a few minutes. Look at the other students at this co-op. Just for a few seconds. Look to your left, look to your right. Statistically speaking, most of the people that you see here today will not be actively involved in a local church within just one year of graduating high school. Looks like there's close to 100 people here today, roughly, if you don't include adults, roughly 100 co-op students involved in this ministry. And according to statistics, most of you will not be here. You will not be in the church within one year after leaving your parents' homes. Over the past three years, organizations such as Barna and Lifeway Research have conducted extensive studies designated to examining the relationship between high school youth who regularly attended church while living with their parents and whether those youth would continue in the same patterns of attending church and being plugged into church within the first year of being out of high school. According to those studies from Barna and from Lifeway Research, again, spanning from 2020 to right now in 2022, according to those studies... It's estimated that roughly 75% of high school age youth who attended church at least twice a month, 75% of high school age youth that attended church at least twice a month in high school, they were no longer attending church at all within just one year after leaving their parents' home. So practically speaking, what does that mean? So there's 100 students, give or take, here today. That means that only 25 of you... If these statistics are correct, only 25 of you will still be plugged into a church on a regular basis when you leave your parents' house. What does that mean? What does the Bible say about the implications of such statistics? Well, as we find taught in passages such as 1 John 2.19, those who go out from us, meaning those who go out from the church, they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, John writes, if they had been of the true church, if they had been Christians, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they are not all of us. 
My friends, I shared these terrifying statistics with you by way of introduction simply for the fact of recognizing that spiritual leadership, parents, families, those who are actively involved in the church, they need to address these concerns head on. They need to analyze them soberly and they need to be intentional in addressing these matters from the Word of God and ultimately through practical means as well. So with this in mind, with, with, with this troubling statistic in mind of roughly 75% of high school age youth leaving the church after either going to college or going to the military or whatever they do within a year of leaving their parents' roof, it's with this troubling figure in mind that I just want to spend a few moments looking at a solution, a practical solution to preventing 75% of high school age youth from leaving the church and by extension from leaving the faith. Or if I could title it this way, title this devotional briefly, The Biblical Antidote to Apostasy, or The Biblical Antidote to Falling Away. That's all the word apostasy means. It means to depart or to fall away. How can high school age youth be protected from apostasy? How can we prevent the next generation of self-identifying professing Christians from falling away, from departing their faith? And really at the macro level, for, for you kids who are not in high school, you're going to be someday, Lord willing. For you parents, adult leaders, how can you be sure that you will not apostatize, that you will not fall away from Christianity? Well, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, by God's grace... The Apostle Paul provides us with a solution in verses 7 to 9 of Galatians 6. In those verses, the very end of that first book that Paul wrote during his ministry, we find very straightforward and very practical counsel to help guard ourselves from the temptation to leave the faith. As we see from the text... Paul uses an agricultural principle, reaping and sowing, something that would have been very familiar to his first century readers. And for those of us who live in southeast Texas, if you've grown up on a farm or a ranch, something that would be very familiar to you as well. He uses a a, a word picture, an agricultural picture, to drive the principle home of how you and I can be secure in our faith. Notice again what he says. Look at the text with me. For whatever a man sows... This he will also reap. The one who sows to the flesh will reap corruption, and the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life. Now, I'm not an expert in agriculture, so I did a little Google search to make sure that I gave you right information. So some of you guys may have to correct me after our time of devotional. But um, in agriculture, so I'm told, what you plant is what you will harvest, The seed that you sow into the ground will eventually bring forth the full maturation of whatever that seed produces. So in southeast Texas, I'm not from here, but I've noticed a few things over the last two and a half years of dwelling in these parts. Rice seeds will ultimately produce rice in fields, right? Corn kernels are going to eventually produce those giant stalks of corn that you see in a cornfield. Watermelon seeds, at some point going to eventually become watermelon, right? We know that from ordinary experience in our day-to-day lives. In God's providence, He's designed the world in such a way that we know just by way of living in this world that like will produce like. How many of you guys would be willing to bet that um, a, a watermelon seed will produce an orange? Would you guys be willing to take that bet? 
Would you guys be willing to say that um, pumpkins spring forth from kernels of corn? No, right? That's absurd. Like produces like. That's what we see in the world. That's what we see in the realm of agriculture. And it's because of this physical reality that Paul observes in our world that he's able to make a vital spiritual point in the text we have before us. This is the Apostle Paul's main point. Just as like produces like in the physical realm, so also like produces like in the spiritual realm. Listen to what Paul says very closely. This is really the so what of our time here today. It's main takeaway. The seeds that you sow in your life, the seeds that you and I sow in our lives, they are a reflection of our spiritual condition. And those seeds that we sow in our lives, they are a precursor to the harvest that our lives will ultimately produce at the very end. The seeds you and I plant will bring forth some sort of harvest, and that harvest will be a reflection of our spiritual condition all along. In other words, let me make it even more practical for you. Young person, adult, whoever you are listening to my voice today, if your lifestyle is marked by continual sowing to the flesh, don't be surprised if the eventual harvest of your life demonstrates that you really don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If like produces like, if you're constantly sowing to the flesh, that is evidence, that is fruit of, that is a harvest of, not knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If the seeds that you plant in your life are saturated in unbelief, then according to Paul in verse 8 of our text, the fruit of your life will be corruption. And let me just be very clear here. Some of you here that, that know you're not a Christian, perhaps you're here because your parents have, have drugged you here. Perhaps you're here because, well, you're pretty good at playing the game. You, you like to put on a religious facade, but you don't really know Jesus. Let me tell you this. Your life of sin, your life of sowing to the flesh, it may bring you temporary satisfaction in this life. But according to the testimony of God's word, eventually corruption will be the harvest that your life produces. Addiction, emptiness, a lifestyle of hypocrisy, an overwhelming sense of guilt and dread that you think about when contemplating your own mortality and your accountability before your holy creator. All of those things will eventually come to bear as a harvest of corruption. That is the end result. That is the necessary consequences of sowing to the flesh. And worst of all, Though your lifestyle will be marked by corruption, if you sow to the flesh, the end result, the outcome of your harvest, according to Paul, as he writes elsewhere in Romans 2, verses 2 through 8, the, the end result, the outcome of that harvest will be eternal judgment in hell. That is the dreadful fate that awaits those whose lifestyle is marked by constantly sowing to the flesh. Notice what Paul writes in that text. Romans 2 verses 2 through 8. There is a glimmer of gospel hope in this passage as is often the case in the word of God. But this is an important passage to keep in mind as you contemplate what awaits a unbeliever at the end of their life or at the return of Christ. What is going to happen to unbelievers at the end of their life or when Christ returns. That's what Paul writes here. Same guy who wrote Galatians a few years before writing this letter to the Romans. He says, We know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice sin. But do you suppose this, O man, 
When you pass judgment on those who practice sin and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you think lightly of the riches of His kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? Do you not know these things, Paul writes? But, verse 5, because of your stubbornness, because of the unbeliever's unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath in revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each person according to his deeds. To those, who perse- to those who by perseverance and doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But to the unbeliever, to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, they will receive wrath and indignation from God. And the final analysis, for those whose lifestyle is marked by spiritual corruption, by sowing to the flesh, then corruption and judgment is the inevitable result that awaits them. That will be the conclusion. That will be the outcome of their harvest. But on the flip side, on the other hand, for those whose lifestyle is marked by sowing to the Spirit, eternal life, Residence in God's heavenly kingdom, that is the inevitable harvest that awaits them. That is the inevitable conclusion that awaits them at the end of their life or at the return of Christ. According to Galatians 6.8, did you notice it in the text? According to Galatians 6.8, if your lifestyle is marked by continual sowing to the Spirit, juxtaposition to sowing to the flesh. Okay, so we've considered sowing to the flesh. If you are one whose lifestyle is marked by sowing to the Spirit, then you have a guaranteed promise. You have an absolute certainty that the harvest of your life will be spending eternity with the God of your salvation, with the Creator who has made you and formed you in His image. Notice what this conclusion leads Paul to write in verse 9. Look at verse 9 again with me in Galatians 6. In light of the the promise of eternal life by sowing to the Spirit, Paul says this, Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. What's the motivation for the Christian life? What is the biblical antidote to apostasy? It's the reality of having our faith turned to sight. It's the reality of having our salvation be fully realized in the future. And that is what motivates us to model Christ-like and godly lifestyles in the present. As you embark upon life in a fallen world, as you face the difficulties that come as being a follower of Jesus Christ, and rest assured, my friends, they will come if you faithfully live out your faith before a watching world. The promise of salvation embedded in this text and embedded throughout the totality of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. That is the fuel that will ignite you in your perseverance in the faith. That is the means that God will utilize to prevent you from being one of those 75% of high school age students that leave Christianity when they leave their parents' home. Very practically, how does this look? Well, when you lose close relationships for refusing to compromise on doctrinal and moral truths from Scripture. It's the promise of future salvation that will be your comfort. When you find that you're not popular amongst your peer group, when you're slandered by people solely because of your faith in Christ, you may not find comfort in this life, but you will find comfort knowing 
that your salvation is secure in the, in the highest heavens by the God of your salvation. When you find yourself stressed out about the troubling state of the world, look at social media, look at the news, listen to the rhetoric in the communities in which we live. What's going to keep you from being weighed down by the cares of this world and by the stresses of this life? The promise of your future salvation. That will be your anchor. And lastly, and perhaps most significantly of all, we could go on and on and on of examples, practical illustrations of how our hope of eternal salvation keeps us comforted in this life. But think about this for a second, because it's going to happen to you and I at some point in our life. When you face the death of a loved one, when you face tragedy, when you get the news, cancer, sickness, a tragic accident, whatever the case may be, when that happens to somebody in your life or when you yourself or me comes face to face with what the Bible calls the last enemy, death itself, when we're gripped with the reality of our own mortality and when death is knocking, And you have to stand before the God who has made you in His image. Nothing in this life will provide any comfort to you other than the reality and the hope of your future salvation in Christ Jesus. So to my brothers and sisters who are here today, to the believers who are represented in this room, and I I hope and pray that the statistics that we learned about just a few moments ago will not be true of this co-op and of the churches that are represented here. But if you're here today and you're a believer, I give you the same exhortation that Paul gives us in the text. May we never lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap what we've sown. Sow to the Spirit. Give everything you have for the truth of God and the glory of God wherever He calls you, no matter what the consequences. He is worthy of your utmost worship and adoration and effort. Live for eternity. Stamp, as Jonathan Edwards said, stamp the reality of eternity on your eyeballs. Make that the ultimate vision and motivation for all that you do. You will reap what you have sown to the Spirit. Your salvation will be secure and it will come to pass. That will be the harvest of your life. And lastly, to any unbelievers who are here today and in a room this size, I trust there are at least a few. I would just appeal to you, stop reaping, or excuse me, stop sowing to the flesh. Don't allow your harvest, don't allow the fruit of your life to result in corruption, not just temporary corruption, not just heartbreak, not just dissatisfaction, not just emptiness, not just dread or guilt, insecurities. Make the choice today to surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Take those seeds, as it were, that you have sown to the flesh time and time again, and instead, sow those to the Spirit. Devote your life to Christ and the building of His kingdom, and watch how the harvest of your life will come to full maturation at the end. Whenever Christ returns or calls you home, watch how your harvest will testify to the glory of God and the eternal good that you have secured in the new heavens and new earth at either the time of your death or at the time of Christ's return. That would be my appeal to any unbelievers here. 
So having said that, I just want to say thank you so much again for giving me the privilege of giving this devotional today. And I want to thank you all as well for the impact you've made on my wife and I. Um, Some of you here may have never met me before, but for those of you who do know me and do know my wife and our little girl, um, thank you so much. We love you. We're grateful for you. We encourage you to press on in the work that God has entrusted in your lives and in this ministry moving forward. Let me pray, and then we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, we live in a generation in which your people are under attack each and every day. We especially see this reality demonstrated in how young people are leaving the church and they're deserting their profession of faith in droves. Those statistics, 75% high school students leaving the church. That is such an alarming number to consider. So Lord God, my prayer is that those alarming trends that we've considered today, that they would not be applicable to those who are involved with this co-op in Inez, Texas Father, I pray that you would set about this place a hedge of protection, that this would be a context in which these young people and even adults are continually sowing to the Spirit. Lord, that that they would be devoted to love and good deeds, that they would be devoted to growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would do such a work in this co-op that it will be said that every person Literally every soul here today, Father, that they would be faithfully walking with you for as long as you see fit to keep them on this earth. May none of these these young people or even adults, Lord, may they never play the game. May May they never live in hypocrisy. May they never feel like they will be satisfied simply by sowing to the flesh and reaping the the temporary and fleeting gratifications that come from doing so. Father, awaken each of us to the reality that corruption awaits those who sow to the flesh. But to those who sow to the Spirit, O Lord, would we be encouraged and comforted by the reality that when our faith is turned to sight, that when Christ returns or calls us home, we have an inheritance in Your kingdom that can never be taken away, where thieves cannot destroy, or I should say where thieves cannot steal and and moth and dust cannot destroy. And Father, we ask... We ask that you would bless the efforts of this ministry in Inez, Texas, to be a light before a watching community, to be a Christ-like learning environment for many years to come, marked by an unwavering commitment to not only sound biblical doctrine, but also to Christ-like conduct. God, we thank you for this time of studying your word. We ask that you would now, as we depart from this time of worship and considering the truths of Scripture, we ask that you would allow the rest of our day to be pleasing in your sight. Keep us all safe as we head home. And Father, equip us by your Spirit to steward whatever tasks and responsibilities you've entrusted to us for the rest of this week. We love you, Father, and we give you thanks, praying in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.